Well, good morning, beloved Covenant family. Happy Easter. I love you and I miss you all. But boy, it is so good for us to be able to come together as a church family and to celebrate the resurrection, not only here in this community for us to come together, but I know part of our Covenant family is coming to us from Florida and from Kansas and from Colorado and from California, from England, from Romania, from Africa and elsewhere. We are reaching our hands around the globe in celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, these continue to be such strange days for us, don't they? Strange and disconcerting. Everything kind of feels upside down still. And I believe that God's call for us as a church family remains the same. This is what love looks like for us as a church in these days of the coronavirus. Stay anchored to God, stay connected to God's people, and stay faithful to God's call to live out a life of love. I just want to encourage you, as you are walking through the day, I know that our roots are narrowed, but in my experience, they're also being deepened. I don't know about you, but I've had some really significant conversations with six or seven families in my neighborhood at a safe distance as we've been out and about and walking and, and that sort of thing. And also some really substantive conversations with people at the drugstore or at the, at the post office or at the grocery store. I was thinking about one specific interaction that I had, kind of a couple sentences at a time over two or three visits at the grocery store. I learned this one clerk's name and we had a brief conversation. The next time I asked how, how she was doing in the middle of all this and she expressed her frustration that customers were ignoring the signs to just take one or two of particular items that we don't have a lot of and that she would have to confront them and ask them to put things back and how that made them angry and how hard it was for her to be in that position. And then the last time that, that she and I spoke, I said, so tell me, how is this impacting you? And she paused and she looked at me and she said, I'm afraid. And I said, tell you what, as I'm driving home, I'm just going to pray for you specifically. And she looked at me and put her hands together like this and she said, oh, bless you. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you so much. So let's stay faithful to the call that God has put on our lives to live out a life of love. Smile at people over our, our masks, ask how they're doing, and pursue their hearts. So with those things in mind, let's pray. The Lord, we are so grateful to have the chance to gather together as your people and now to open your word. And we pray that you, Spirit of God, who is present to all of us at the same time, that you would speak to our souls and that you would encourage us with this good news, with this great hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we pray this together in the name of Jesus, our risen King. Well, kids, do you know what this is? Yep, it's a feather. You're right. Did you already know that or were you just winging it? Sorry, I know, I can hear the groans welling up from across the community, even here. This particular feather is the feather from a barred owl. 
You can tell from the patterns, but also one of the things that makes an owl feather unique is it has this really delicate sort of wispy fringe, both on the, the leading edge and on the trailing edge of the feather. So when an owl flies through the sky, you can't hear it. But that sure isn't true when they're calling. Two nights ago on Good Friday night, I heard a a barred owl call right outside my window. It kind of jolted me awake. Ooh, it just did the last part of its call, that last little line. And it repeated it three times. It was like it was saying, who is this who died on the cross for us, who laid down his life for us? Who is this who lies now in the tomb whom all of heaven grieves? And who is this? who will rise up from the dead. So what's a feather for? I mean, you know, the reason God invented feathers is so that birds could fly. But human beings have put feathers to lots of different interesting and creative uses. We stuff them inside comforters and coats to keep us warm. We tie them onto arrows to make sure they go straight. We turn them into, uh, we attach them to fishing hooks and turn them into fishing lures. We even cut them off and dip them in, in ink and use them as pens. But one of the most interesting uses that human beings have made of feathers, and this goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, all the way back to biblical times, is to tell if a person is still alive. As you probably know that when a person dies, their heart stops, and then their breathing stops. But sometimes, somebody can still be alive, but their heart is beating really softly, and their breathing is really shallow, so you can lean over and listen for it, but you can't, you can't hear it. So people had the idea of holding a feather up to a person's mouth, and they were still breathing then the feather would begin to move. There's a really touching scene at the end of a Shakespeare play, King Lear, where King Lear is, uh, is there with some other people and they bring his daughter Cordelia into him and he can't tell if she's alive or if she's dead. So they send for a feather. They go to try to find a feather. And this is what he says. The feather stirs. She lives. If it be so, it is a chance which does redeem all sorrows that ever I have felt. So talking about feathers and dead bodies in church on a Sunday morning might seem like kind of a strange thing to do. But like every good mystery, there is a dead body right in the middle of the story of Easter. During the past week, we have been remembering the amazing things that Jesus said and did and the terrible things that, Jesus, that people did to Jesus during the last week of his life. Him raising Lazarus from the dead, him coming into this triumphal celebratory parade, and then just a few days later, his being nailed to a cross and dying on that cross. So as we read this story, the two things, the two questions that everyone was asking and everyone has continued to ask are these. 
Did he really die? Why? Why was that necessary? And did he really rise from the dead? How? How is that possible? Hence, the feather. Was Jesus dead? And was he alive? So let's pick up the story right at the moment that Jesus died on Friday. Matthew chapter 27, if you want to follow along, I'll be starting in verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw this earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and they exclaimed, surely this was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. Now here is the first mention of a word that has to do with looking or seeing. And I would just want you to notice as we carry on the story how often that idea shows up in the way the story unfolds. So picking up again. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. And among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. And going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus's body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb, and he went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So that was late afternoon Friday, and Mark elaborates on what happens next in Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, so this is now at sunset on Saturday night, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, so on Sunday morning, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? I wonder, in the middle of all of the other things that those women brought with them, I wonder if one of them brought a feather. I bet they did, just in case in the wild hope that maybe Jesus was still alive. So back to Matthew now, picking up at the start of chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look, there's that word again, at the tomb. Behold, or look, the first word in Greek doesn't show up in our English translations at the start of, of, chapter, or of verse 2, but there it is. Behold, look, there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. I love the contrast of who's dead and who's alive in this story. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid. 
For I know that you are looking, there's that word again, for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. They didn't need a feather to see if Jesus was alive. The whole earth moved when he drew in his breath on Easter morning. Jesus was dead. His body lay dead in the tomb for 36 hours. And then... universe rises from the dead and steps back into the world. It's the same broken world with all of its same pains and suffering and disappointment and losses and viruses. The only difference is now the risen Lord Jesus is set loose within it. And that changes everything. Earlier this week, I was thinking about this moment of Jesus stepping out of his tomb. And I thought, what if we saw this as a moment not when Jesus was stepping out of his tomb, but into ours? And this is the poem that I wrote trying to capture that idea. On the third day, with deep rumble and resounding thud, the rock is rolled back and the black tomb exposed. And within... Not one body, but many bodies, buried, busied still about their work and play, and other ways they fill their nights and days, but dead. Into the tomb, the risen one steps, walks among them, stops before them, takes in their lifeless lives, takes up their lifeless hands, and wakes them one by one, whispering, little one, rise up. So let's pick up the story in Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, verse 6. The angel says to the women, come and see the place where he lay. The tomb that held Jesus' body that had been sealed and guarded by Roman soldiers now lies open and empty. Jesus was dead and now he is alive. So let me just pause here. If you have always considered the story of Jesus rising from the dead as a myth, which I did for a number of years. I want to challenge you to try to disprove the resurrection. A book you might find interesting is one written by journalist and former atheist Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. To his surprise, as he began to investigate the the facts and the records, he discovered that the resurrection of Jesus is one of the best attested events in ancient history. 
and the evidence for it is compelling. Instead of disproving the resurrection, he became persuaded it happened and wrote a book about what he discovered. The same thing happened to Frank Morrison before him, who wrote Who Moved the Stone, and to Lou Wallace before him, who instead of writing a book that was intended to disprove the resurrection, wrote the classic Ben-Hur. Don't just glibly dismiss the resurrection. That's not intellectually honest. Take the angel's challenge. Come and see the place where he lay. And when you, what you discover when you do that may change your life. It certainly did mine. After the woman come and see the evidence of the resurrection, from that point on, the action sort of unfolds in this tumble of repetitions of the words go and look, go and see, and go and tell. If you were to highlight these words in this passage or versions of these words, you would see that they just kind of light up the whole passage. So starting in Matthew chapter 28, verse 7. The angel says, come and see the place where he lay. And then he continues, then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now, look, I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. I love that honesty about how two different feelings can reside in a person of faith at the same time. Fear and joy and expectancy. Suddenly, look, Jesus, wrote, or Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him. They clasped his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. There again, the mix of faith and doubt residing alongside each other. And then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and telling them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then it ends with this line, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This week I received a beautiful handmade card that has a drawing of the sun rising over the mountains rising up over this mountain valley and across the top in huge, bold letters, it says, I am with you always. And the verse reference, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Thank you, Lydia. I don't know how you knew this was a specific verse I was going to be preaching on this morning. I love it. So what are the implications for humanity? What are the implications for you personally? that Jesus rose from the dead. What does it mean that he is alive? This brief line, this last one in Matthew's gospel is just crammed with implications. In the Greek, it has four different things that are being emphasized, that stand out because of the word choice or the verb choice or the structure of the sentence. So it's like somebody came through and underlined and highlighted and put explanation, exclamation points and stars all over this sentence. 
Literally, this is what it says. Look, open your eyes. Don't miss this. I myself, not somebody else, not another human being like you who is also finite and weak and limited in what they're able to be for you. But me, Jesus, the king, the king of the universe, God in the flesh. I am, not I was, not I will be, not I might be. Present tense, I am with you. Not somewhere in your vicinity, not perhaps passing by on the other side of the road from time to time, but with you all the day. That is every single day to the end of the age. In other words, all the days there ever will be. I wonder if this may not be a good way to capture the heart of this verse and the heart of the, what the resurrection means. Jesus says, look for me. I am with you every single day. So if Jesus were actually alive, where might we expect to glimpse him? Where would we see him in our world today? Earlier this week, Sharon and I uh, both wanted to get out for a walk, and we also both had people we needed to be able to connect with on the phone. So she decided she would walk one direction. I decided I would walk the other direction. She left first, and then I left after her. And on my way out, I saw some neighbors, so at a, at a safe distance, I uh, just checked in with them a little bit, and then I, I headed off. Well, as I was walking down the street, um, I noticed way up ahead of me somebody walking towards me. So I moved to the other side of the street just to make sure there was the appropriate distance, and I didn't think about it again. And then just as I got even with that person, I glanced over just to be able to be friendly, to smile and, and wave and say hi. And I looked over, and there was Sharon waving and, and smiling at me as she was talking to a person on the phone. So I veered over across the street and gave her a kiss and then just carried on uh, in my conversation with a great big grin on my face. So if Jesus were actually alive now, where might we expect to get a glimpse of him? Well, we don't have to guess. The Bible actually gives us some pretty clear answers to that question. So according to the Bible, here are four of the places where we can look and expect to see Jesus. First of all, if I am a follower of Christ, I will discover Jesus inside of me. There are a lot of verses that talk about this. Remember John 14, 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me and will obey my teaching, my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home in him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the same idea. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. As Julian of Norwich says, he made man's soul to be his own city and his dwelling place, the most pleasing to him of all of his works. So if Christ lives in me, I can expect to get glimpses of him within, to hear his whispered voice, to feel the touch of his comfort, of his arms around me all the time. I can anticipate that I will be led by him by his wisdom and his guidance, that I will experience his peace, his leading, his correction, his illumination. And I can expect that others might begin to get a glimpse of him in and through me, that they might notice something different about me, which is Jesus strolling through their lives in me. Well, obviously, the same is true for every one of us as a follower of Christ. So if you are a follower of Christ, I can expect to see Jesus in you as well. 
You remember our memory verse and the verse that we have encouraged us to be praying for one another. I hope you're still praying that for each other every day. You remember part of the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That's the, this idea. And I love this. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, just very straightforward. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? A couple of months ago, I shared a sort of waking vision that I had of Jesus rescuing a man from captivity. You may remember that. And after the service, a man beelined up to me and he said, did you see his face? What did his face look like? I always wanted to know what the face of Jesus looked like. And I said to him, you have seen the face of Jesus a thousand times. Every time one of your brothers and sisters in Christ shows you love, expresses interest in you, pursues you, you are seeing in his face and in his love for you the love of God for you. If Christ lives in you, my brothers and my sisters, which he does, then I can expect to see glimpses of him in you. In your care for me, in the wisdom that you share with me, in your encouragement, in your love for me, which I do. I see that in your love to me, and I see that in your love for one another, which is a stunning thing. I see Jesus in you, and all the more in these days of the virus. We're also told that Jesus can be seen in the faces of people in need around us. You may remember Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, The king will say, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer, When, Lord? When did we see you, feed you, give you something to drink, invite you in, clothe you, go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So there is some unique and mysterious way in which when we are confronted by the needs of the world and we respond to those needs with love, Jesus is revealed as being present. And finally, the Lord tells us that he can be found in every difficulty of life if we are his. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And in Isaiah chapter 43, which I think is an elaboration on that verse from Psalm 23. But now this is what the Lord says. Don't fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. So when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, your Savior. You are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. So we will encounter the risen Lord Jesus everywhere we look, if we look in ourselves, in one another, in the face of the people who have needs, who surround us, and in every difficult circumstances that we walk through. 
I love the prayer that's known as the St. Patrick's breastplate. This is what the resurrection means for us. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ at my right, Christ at my left, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks to me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. So what difference would it make to you if you knew that you were never alone? That Jesus was always with you every single day, all the days there ever will be, no matter what you faced. I shared with you before the quote from Marion Harvey that my dear friend Lon Allison shared with me during his battle with cancer. She said, I have found him in everything that has come my way. And Lon texted me at the end of that, me too. But there's more to this story. Marion Harvey wasn't some delightful matron of the church who lived into her old age, taking in stray cats and knitting socks for soldiers on the front. Marion Harvey was a 20-year-old servant girl who lived in Edinburgh, Scotland in the late 1600s. One day she was arrested and imprisoned when she attended an open-air service where the gospel was being preached. She was tried, and she was convicted of treason, and she was put to death. Before her execution, she wrote out her testimony, which she read out loud just before she was put to death. That quote that Lon shared with me comes from her testimony. Listen to what she wrote. This is stunning. My lot has fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a goodly inheritance. Since ever God called me to follow his gospel, it was my desire to stick close by him and the rule he has set down for poor sinners to walk by. I adhere to the holy and sweet scriptures of God, which have been my rule in all I have done and in which my soul has been refreshed. And again, I desire to bless and magnify the Lord for my lot. Kind has he been to me. I have found him in everything that hath come my way, ordering it himself for his own glory. Be not afraid to adventure upon, that is to risk everything for, the cross of Christ, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Many times I've been made to think it strange what makes folk object to the cross of Christ that has been so light to me that I have found no burden of it at all. He bore me and it both. Hold fast till he come, for he is good to the soul that seeks him. All his dealings with me have been in love and in mercy. Oh, I am made to wonder and admire at his condescending love. Oh, my love, my altogether lovely Christ. Oh, my dear love. Well is me that ever he let me know that his love was better than life. And now welcome my lovely and heartsome Christ Jesus into whose hands 
I commit my spirit throughout eternity. Jesus says, look for me. I am with you every single day, all the days that ever there will be. And the church says, we will find you in everything that comes our way. Faith is when we are confident that he is with us today. And hope is when we are just as confident that he will be with us all the days that ever will be on this side and on the other side. This coronavirus hasn't made us more vulnerable as human beings. It's just reminded us how vulnerable we really are. These days under the cloud of the virus give us a truer picture of what life is really like all the time for us. Coronavirus or no, we have hard days ahead of us just by virtue of being mortal human beings in a fallen world. The virus will take a small percentage of us, but death will take all of us. The resurrection is God's answer to our fragility, our vulnerability, our mortality as human beings. Easter is the declaration that Jesus died and Jesus rose so we can look for Jesus every single day. That's faith. And Easter is the declaration that we will die. And if we put our hope in Christ, we will rise and be with Jesus all the days there will, will ever be. That is hope. The feather stirs, he lives. If it be so, it is a chance which does redeem all sorrows that ever I have felt. And so we come back to the feather. Emily Dickinson wrote a familiar poem about feathers. It says, Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard. The resurrection gives us something to sing about today. And it gives us wings to fly when that day comes. Jesus says, look for me. I am with you every single day. And the church says, I have found him in everything that comes my way.